Another outstanding performance from Julian Strother has Gonzaga peaking at seemingly the perfect time. Will it be enough to make another deep run in the NCAA tournament? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. All right, today's episode is a Mailbag Monday. It is a day late. I apologize for that out of town last weekend, but very excited to get to all of these fantastic questions asked by you all this week. If you asked a question about bracketology or something about matchups heading into the NCAA tournament, I just want you to know that I have pushed some of those questions and we will be addressing them in a later episode this week. So if that was your question you didn't hear it answered today, then that is where it is going to be probably on Wednesday's episode, so check it out then. Uh, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday and you have not done so before, it's very, very simple. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB or at Locked On Zags. You can reach out, ask me a question, send me a direct message, uh, or you can respond to a tweet that I post usually on Sunday morning soliciting questions. That's a good way to guarantee your question will be in the upcoming Mailbag segment. And finally, you can email me, Andy Patton 13 at gmail.com in order to get some questions answered that way as well. All right, let's get right into it. This first question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, Strother has had a really great few weeks. What do you think the driving force is? Few running more offense through him, or is it more of him just being more assertive on the floor? I, I, without talking to Mark Few, without talking to Julian Strother, it's a little bit hard to say exactly which one of those it is. I do think it's a little bit of both. I think defenses have adjusted to Timmy. I think that's a big part of it is that we have seen as much as you can adjust to Drew Timmy. He's been there for four years and he's still dominating teams in the WCC. But I do think that Gonzaga's heavy reliance on Drew Timmy early in the season, especially early in the WCC season, really it worked in the sense that Gonzaga was continuing to win those games, although they were struggling with a lot of those games. But I think that teams have started to adjust of like, hey, look, that's all they're really trying to do. And so a lot of times when Gonzaga is playing teams for a second time, that's when we've really seen Julian kind of pop off and do his thing. And I think part of it is these teams are so focused on trying to stop Drew Timmy that Julian can kind of has a little bit more leeway, has a little bit more leverage. And, and I do think that there is probably an element of coaching of, hey, let's let him let loose. Let's let him go a little bit. Let him take those jump shots. Let him put the ball on the deck and get to the rim. Let him like do those things. But I also think there's a little bit of, of him just saying, look, I'm that guy. Like I can go do this. He's got confidence. He knows he's good enough to play at this level. He knows he's good enough to play at the next level. And so I think there's maybe a mixture. Maybe there was a closed door conversation. Maybe not. I don't know exactly all the specifics there, but it does seem like there has been more of a leash given to Strother to take more shots, attempt more things, kind of create more of his own offense that we hadn't been seeing from him earlier in the year, regardless of who made the decision to do that. Uh, it's clearly working and not just for Julian and his NBA draft stock, which you talked about a lot on Friday's episode, but also for the Zags and kind of upping their ceiling. And that's kind of what I want to talk about here in the next question, which comes from Eric at Eric Scholard on Twitter, who says is Strother's recent increase in scoring sustainable. If it continues, how does that change our ceiling in March? Well, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to average like 30 or 25 plus per game for the rest of the season. Uh, that would be remarkable. And it's not outside of the question necessarily. I think that certainly he, him getting 25 against St. Mary's would be very, very helpful. Not a lot of 
people score 25 points against St. Mary's because they tend to hold the whole team to 50 or 60 or so points in general. So it's difficult to score that many points there. But yeah, I think Strother is going to be more of a 18, 20 ish point per game type guy going forward. I think that he has stepped into that role. He's kind of proven that he's capable of doing it. Uh, the consistency is what I want to see. We have seen it far more consistently lately. Uh, you know, since that Portland game, he's been over 25 points a significant number of times, but he did have three games in that stretch with 12 or less points. So there's still a little bit of consistency we're trying to see from him, but I think that he is peaking at the right time, just like Gonzaga as a whole seems to be kind of peaking at the right time. It is not a coincidence that those two things are happening at the same time. In terms of Gonzaga's ceiling, yeah, it's a massive difference. It's a huge difference. A team that is uh, solely relying on Drew Timmy, their ceiling is a little bit capped in terms of running into teams with really good post players or teams that are, are uh, good at preventing Gonzaga's guards from getting the ball to Drew Timmy, which is what we saw from the Texas team earlier in the season. Uh, having another option who can go get buckets, who can score from beyond the arc, who can draw contact, get to the free throw line, all that good stuff that we've seen from Julian really, really helps make this offense more dynamic, takes a little bit of pressure off Drew Timmy, allows them to do more things on the offensive end of the floor. However, this team's this team's ceiling is still solely predicated by their defense. Julian being another offensive threat is very, very helpful, but this team's offense can carry this team to an elite eight, not regardless of Julian, but they can do that. But their defense is going to need to be there in order for them to make a run as deep as they've made in the past. Next question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, with March right around the corner and GU really looking good as of recently, how important is getting hot at the right time? And could that be what the Zags are doing now? Yeah, this has kind of been talked about. One of those things I've been learning as I've been kind of closer to the team on a daily basis is really Mark Few's telling you the truth with almost everything that he says. Mark Few said, hey, the WCC is going to be as hard as it's ever been for us to get through this year. He was right. He said, hey, this team's maybe not going to be good right out of the shoots, but they're going to get there later in the season. He was right. And a lot of people had a hard time believing that, had a hard time trusting the process there. And I get it. I get it. It's difficult to see a team losing games they don't normally lose. It's difficult to see a team that almost never gets blown out at all, getting blown out twice in the first three weeks of the season. It turns out that those two teams were very, very good, but it's difficult. It's difficult to see. Losing to LMU is a huge gut punch. Hadn't happened in Spokane since 1991. I understand why there was some of that frustration, but at the same time, this is kind of what the coaching staff kept telling us was going to happen. This team's going to take time. There's a lot of young players adjusting to new roles. There's a lot of older guys who are adjusting to new roles like Malachi Smith. Like There's a lot of things happening that are just going to take some time. And now, just as they said, just as a lot of other people said, this team is starting to peak at the right time. That's fantastic news. Excellent news. Does it mean that their ceiling is automatically way higher and they're guaranteed to make a Final Four or anything like that? No, of course not. This team is still flawed. Even in their peak right now, they still show a lot of defensive communication issues. And that's going to hurt them in the NCAA tournament if they don't iron that out. They're going to need to do that. But playing as best as they have on the offensive end of the floor and showing improvement defensively, even if they still have flaws, showing improvement there and playing some of the smoothest, most efficient, smooth, loose offense that they've played all season long uh, is going to really help them as they get into March. Final question here of the first segment comes from at Twitter user Yanks Zags, who says best case and worst case scenario matchups for the Zags in the WCC tournament. Yeah, I think, I think BYU would be the, kind of worst case scenario for the Zags uh, in terms of teams that are realistic for them to match up against. I think BYU has their number. I know Gonzaga beat them twice. I know they did not beat LMU twice, for example. Uh, I'm not counting St. Mary's. We're going to play St. Mary's in the championship. That's the hardest game. 
that's just part of it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that that counts. I'm counting like who's the worst matchup for Gonzaga to have to play before they play St. Mary's. I think you could, I'd rather face LMU or San Francisco. You could obviously make an argument for LMU, but Gonzaga just absolutely boat raced them the last time these two teams played. And I don't imagine LMU would be ready for that necessarily again. San Francisco obviously played Gonzaga really tough, but I think Gonzaga is just a better team. And I think they match up okay with them. BYU plays up to Gonzaga. Mark Pope is a very, very good coach. He seems to have a good understanding of what to do to beat Gonzaga. Uh, I think that would be it. I think BYU's got a good fan presence. They're going to bring a lot of a lot of uh, fans to the, the Orleans Arena. They're going to be ready to try to make some noise in their final WCC tournament ever. I would much rather face any other team outside of St. Mary's than BYU in the WCC tournament. All right, more listener submitted questions getting answered coming up, including Drew Timmy's record and Dominic Harris's playing time. But first, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all of the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. They are perfect for your New Year's resolutions. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now, you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at your nearest Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. And I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure to check out our brand new podcast, the Locked On College Basketball. It's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, segment two here. Uh, got a lot of great questions here, mostly about player-specific questions. This first one here comes from Emily via Gmail. Emily says, on a podcast last week, you left Anton Watson off the all-conference teams. Just curious for a more thorough explanation of why he seems to be so good and so reliable on both offense and defense. Yeah, I did a all-WCC first team, which is 10 players. I talked about a few options for the second team. And yeah, Anton Watson was not on there. And, and quite honestly, it's much more about the quality of talent in the WCC not any disparaging comments I would make about Anton Watson. Many people who've listened to the show for a long time know how much I love Anton Watson, what he contributes to the team, all of that good stuff. I do think because the scoring is a little bit lower because a lot of the impacts of what Anton Watson does are not showing up in the stat sheet necessarily. I, I think that that will impact his ability to get votes for all WCC teams. Perhaps that is unfair. Perhaps that is not right. Uh, I did mention him as a candidate for all defensive player of the year. I think Kyle Bowen is probably going to win that award at St. Mary's. I think Mitchell Saxon's in the conversation for that award at St. Mary's as well. Uh, but I do think Anton is right in that conversation. Certainly he's the he's Gonzaga's most qualified candidate for defensive player of the year. Uh, Gonzaga not being a particularly good defensive team will probably hurt him in that regard, especially when compared to St. Mary's. Uh, I love Anton. I think he's probably going to be a all WCC honorable mention, which is just outside of the first and second teams. I don't think that that is 
the kind of insult that it may have been 10 years ago in the WCC when not being a first teamer or a second teamer would kind of look bad because the the depth of talent in the conference wasn't very good. But this year there's, there's a lot of really, really talented players and being just on the outside of the top 10 or uh, outside even the top 15 doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you're not a good player. It just means that there's a lot of other really good players in this conference. Next question here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, doing the points record math for Drew Timmy, it seems like the record is somewhat likely to fall in the postseason. Uh, how are the postseason versus regular season records separated? Will, when LeBron passed Kareem, it was regular season points. I'm assuming that is not the case with NCAA records. Correct. It is not the case with NCAA records. Uh, Chet Holmgren broke Brandon Clark's block record in the NCAA tournament last year. Brandon Clark had set the single season block record for Gonzaga also in the NCAA tournament. Uh, yeah, it, it, they just those all count the same. Your total number of points, rebounds, assists, block steals, whatever it may be. All are factored in, including your NCAA tournament record. You could make an argument whether that's fair or not fair. Certainly when you look at like overall career records, players who played in more NCAA tournament games are likely to be higher on the list. The argument against that is why should they be punished for for having played in more NCAA tournament games? And I understand that to an extent. I think like Shemek Karnowski being the winningest player in Gonzaga or in uh, college basketball history is an incredible accomplishment. It is Notable that he played an extra season because he had been hurt in that year. He played five games that year, which is five more games than most anybody else played. Uh, so I, I do think that these records all kind of have to have context to them. You know, when when Drew Timmy passed Adam Morrison for the scoring list, like it's like, oh, wow, he has more points than Adam Morrison. Yeah, but Adam Morrison did it in three years. Right. Elias Harris has more points than Adam Morrison. Nobody's going to argue that Elias Harris is a better Gonzaga basketball player than Adam Morrison. No disrespect to Elias Harris. It's just not an argument that anybody's going to make. But Elias Harris was at Gonzaga for four years. It's a different type of argument, but it kind of kind of falls into place here. Like, yeah, Drew Timmy is going to be able to break this record. Uh, if he breaks it this year, he'll break it even though he played in much more games than Frank Burgess did because of the length of the NCAA tournament. It's just kind of part of part of how the wonkiness of college sports and college basketball in particular and how their stats are kept. Next question here comes from Andrew at Safeco Ray on Twitter, who says, hypothetically, if Dom or Salas had Hickman's minutes, does the ceiling for this team improve? No. No, I don't think so. Uh, Hickman is a true point guard, he, and he's doing what he's asked to do. And I, I still struggle, and I'm not saying this about you specifically, Andrew, but I still struggle to see so much kind of vitriol towards Hickman for doing his job. He has not been a, a prolific scorer in the WCC. He has had a lot of games where he has had very few points, under 10 and in some cases under five points in WCC games. But he's not turning the ball over. His turnover numbers have dropped dramatically. Uh, in the WCC season, he's running the offense. He's playing good defense. He's he's a capable three-point shooter. He goes through, you know, stretches where he's a little bit weaker in that area. But for the most part, he's he's doing what he's asked to do. And I don't I've, – I've said this numerous times on the podcast, and I stand by it. I, I believe Hunter Salah should play more. I've said that a ton of times. But I think that he's best served coming off the bench. I think he works really well in that role. He brings a different energy. He brings a, he forces the other team to immediately change what they're doing because of his defensive presence. We have seen him grow and develop as an offensive player in a significant way. And I think he has proven he can play more point guard. We've seen him do that. We've seen him kind of fill that role a little bit. But Salas, or excuse me, but Hickman is more experienced as a true point guard, more experienced at guiding and facilitating the offense. And I think switching their roles or switching their minutes doesn't really accomplish that. It, it makes Gonzaga different, but I don't think it raises their ceiling. As for Dom, 
just quite honestly, I haven't seen anything from him that proves that he should be playing more minutes than Nolan Hickman. And I'm not sure where anybody would be seeing that. And it's not to say that he's not good. I don't know. We, we just haven't seen him. We saw him play a few really good minutes against an NAIA school against Eastern Oregon. I really wish we'd gotten an opportunity to say, see him play eight to 10 minutes against uh, LMU earlier this week, but he was unfortunately unable to make the trip because of an illness. That's a bummer. I'm, I'm bummed that Dom, Dom Harris couldn't make this trip because I would have liked to see him in that opportunity. But by and large, for, for the last three years, obviously excluding the injury year, we've only really seen Dom play minutes against bad teams, backup players because he's playing in garbage time. So we just haven't gotten to see what he can really do at that level. I think all of a sudden giving him Nolan Hickman's minutes would not make this team better. I, I just, I, it's hard for me to imagine that Dom would raise the ceiling of this team. If he did, I think he'd be playing more. And I think the fact that Hickman, Dom's also not really a true point guard. That's not really what he came here to be. He's more of a combo guard, more of an outside shooter. He's, he's, you know, a, a very good defensive player. That's what he's been kind of tabbed as. And maybe he would help on that and a little bit more than Hickman does, but Hickman's not bad at that either. And I think that Dom is, is just not as refined and maybe not more of not a pure point guard. And I don't think that putting him in Hickman's role where I think Hickman is perfectly running the offense the way that he should be and doing what he is asked to do. I don't think switching those roles would make this team ceiling any higher. Final question here of the second segment comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, Rasir Bolton came up huge at the end of the Waves game with two enormous threes. What roles do you see the role players playing? In other words, for a deep run, what do a few of the key players need to do? They might already be doing it. Yeah, hitting their shots really helps. It sure does. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Uh, don't turn the basketball over. Don't try to play hero ball and, and take over yourself. Like continue to play within the team frame, continue to, to run the offense. Gonzaga is one of the biggest things we've seen from this team this year is because they've played in so many close games. Not just in the non-conference. They've played close games on the road at BYU, at San Francisco, at LMU. Like they've played these, I guess the LMU road game was not a close one, but they played a close game against LMU at home. Uh, regardless, they're playing these games that, that have forced them to understand how they operate under pressure. And I think the role players continuing to understand that, to know their role, to not try to play hero ball, to not turn the ball over, and to play lockdown defense. I think that's a big part of it. This team's strength is not or this team's weakness is not on offense. Rasir Bolton hidden shots that we know he's going to do that. He's very good at that. Julian Strother has proven he is fantastic at that. Malachi Smith, good shot creator, good shot hitter. Like the issues are on defense. So for these role players, the biggest thing that they can do to help this team's ceiling raise, to help this team make a deeper run in March, is play the best defense that they can. Communicate, 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 call out switches, call out screens, make sure you find the right guy on the perimeter in transition. All of that stuff, more than anything else, more than anything else, this team offensively is going to be fine. If you're a role player on this team, if you're not option one or option two, you need to find a way to play the best possible defense individually and as a team that you possibly can in order for this team to make as deep of a run as they're capable of. All right, more listeners submitted questions, including talk about college game day and potential WCC tournament seeding. But first, a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. As, small business, as a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. 
LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post company and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zach, still going through Mailbag Monday here on a Tuesday, a day late as we kind of get prepared for a very, very exciting week in Spokane. And that's what I want to talk about here with this next question from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, how about college game day coming to Spokane for the Gonzaga-St. Mary's game? As if the game wasn't big enough, now the entire college basketball world will be focused on Spokane on Saturday in a game where someone is guaranteed to cut down the nets as the WCC champion. Pretty cool, right? Pretty awesome that this is happening. We kind of gotten teased that this might happen. Jay Billis had kind of mentioned it. A handful of people had kind of teased that, hey, that might be where this game is going to end up on Saturday. And it should. It should. Two top 20 teams in the country, two teams that are going to be four or five seeds in the NCAA tournament. Uh, The WCC tournament regular season championship is on the line. This is a bitter rivalry for the last 20 years. Two elite coaches and Randy Bennett, Mark Few. This is where this game should be. This is where the game should be. I'm very excited about it. I know many of you are excited about it. Hopefully all of you get opportunities to go. If you do, please let me know how it is. I'm going to be at home for that game, unfortunately, but very, very excited to see the crowds and hear the energy and the enthusiasm from 5.30 in the morning all the way until game time. It's going to be an absolute party in Spokane and one that I'm very, very excited for. Next question here comes from at MillerMike123 on Twitter, who says the WCC will use the net to, to seed Gonzaga and St. Mary's in Vegas if all goes well. Do you know what they will look at when they will look at these rankings? Chicago State won't move the needle much, but an extra game could help. And the rest of the NCAA, of course, will still be playing throughout next week. I don't think they're going to take Chicago State into account, but I'm not positive about that. I tried to look into it, didn't find any concrete answers. If somebody listening does know the answer to this question, please let me know and I can relay that information. But my understanding is that as soon as the WCC regular season ends, that that is what they will use to seed the games from that point forward. Beyond that, like you said, the Chicago State game is just not going to move the needle. Unless Gonzaga loses, of course, which would be quite shocking. Uh, I don't think that that game is going to matter all that much. I think Gonzaga is playing it in part to keep their starters fresh in the sense of them not going so long without playing a game, but they're not out there to play Drew Timmy 33 minutes. You know, it's going to be more of like, let's get you some action. Let's get you some moving around, uh, you know, maybe try some new things or experiment with some stuff offensively uh, or defensively and then kind of play the, the backups the rest of the game. And so I, I think that that's kind of how they're looking at this game. And I'm not sure that they're looking at it for any kind of factor in terms of net ranking or anything like that. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff said, how is it possible that Pepperdine can have the players they do and still have that bad of a record? It's not just under the current head coach. Pepperdine for most of the last 20, 20, 22 years has massively underperformed given the talent level they had. I'm just not sure that that's true, to be quite honest with you there, Jeff. Uh, a few years ago when they had Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards, yeah, they, they underperformed a bit. 
they were expected to be third or fourth in the WCC. They finished slightly above 500 in the WCC. Uh, that team was very good. Colby Ross is one of the best players in Pepperdine history. Kessler Edwards, of course, an NBA player. Uh, this year, of course, they have NBA players on the roster. Maxwell Lewis is going to be an NBA player. I think Javon Porter has a very good chance of being an NBA player. I think Houston Millette could end up sneaking into the NBA despite being an undersized guard. So for the last few years, they've had really, really talented players, NBA caliber players, and they have underperformed. That's Romar. That's Lorenzo Romar for you right there. You look past back past Romar. You look at some of the other coaching staffs and everything. They had good teams, but they didn't have great teams. Stacey Davis was solid. Jet Reigns was a player I remember really liking uh, there in the 2011, 2012 time, time period, I think. And beyond that, you look back at their previous rosters. They just didn't have that much talent. They had some good players, a few decent players, but their talent levels seemed to match about where they finished in the WCC. In my opinion, over the last 20 years, I don't look beyond that. The only time that their talent level has exceeded their actual performance on the court has been under Romar. And part of that is because they've gotten more talent. They've gotten more talent under Lorenzo Romar than they had in the past. More, I mean, Maxwell Lewis is the highest NBA prospect they've had in a very, very long time. Very, very long time. Kessler Edwards getting drafted was one of the first non-Gonzaga BYU St. Mary's players to get drafted out of the WCC in a really long time. Of course, Jalen Williams recently surpassed that out of Santa Clara, but that there, this NBA caliber talent on this roster has only been very recently and their performance not ticking up is because of Lorenzo Romar. I don't think that their situation prior to Romar was really all of that noteworthy. They were an average WCC team with an average WCC talent pool of players. That's kind of just what it was. Now the talent pool has gone up. The record has stayed the same. Next question here on the similar vein comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, who are your surprise teams in the WCC tournament? Seeing Pepperdine live, I don't understand how they've not won more games, but if you could pick one sleeper team, who would it be and why? Yep, stick with my Romar answer regarding Pepperdine. I also think, just to, to build on that a little bit, uh, Romar is a horrible defensive coach. This Pepperdine team is horrendous defensively. So as much as they have highlight reel offense, Maxwell Lewis gets all this attention. He's a bad defensive player and is hurting his draft stock somewhat significantly. Uh, and I think that as long as he can't coach defense, this is a team that's going to struggle in terms of why people are surprised they haven't won more games. Yeah, they've won three WCC games in the last two years. That is so shockingly few. I will give you that. But they're, they're not all that well coached. That's just kind of part of the problem for this team. Uh, in terms of... Surprise team in the WCC tournament. I'm going to stick with BYU. And I know it's weird to call them a surprise team, but they're not seated super highly. But I could see them absolutely con contending for a, a spot to play in the national or in the WCC championship game. I still think it's going to be Gonzaga and St. Mary's. If it's not, though, I think BYU will be the team that makes it. Mark Pope is a good coach. That crowd is going to be electric with BYU fans because it's their final time in the WCC tournament. Uh, I mean, we can't ignore LMU because they've beaten Gonzaga and they've beaten St. Mary's and they've beaten BYU, quite honestly. But for me, BYU is, is the team most likely not named Gonzaga or St. Mary's to secure an automatic bid out of the WCC into the NCAA tournament. Final question of the show here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, the Gonzaga women are having a great year that they have shot less than 47% in each of their last seven games covering the last four weeks against WCC competition that has not been very good. With two season, two regular season games left, could Gonzaga's shooting woes be the just be the drag of the WCC season, or could there be some cause for concern for the WCC tournament in what seems likely to be a seven-seed starting in Salt Lake City? I'm going to stop right there because I think saying anything is likely to happen in mid-February or even late February – 
we don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of time between now and March. There's a lot of games to be played. There's a lot of games to be played, not just for Gonzaga, but for other teams on the side of the bracket, expecting a seven seed in Salt Lake City. Yeah, maybe it'll happen, but I'm not saying anything is likely at this point. Beyond that, Lady Zags having a slight dip in their shooting performance for the last few games when they've won all of them. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. That's just not concerning me. They've dealt with injuries. Um, yeah, this team this team is more than just their shooting percentage. They're a good defensive team. They're a good outside shooting team. Uh, they they don't. I don't think that their field goal percentage is particularly concerning. Uh, and like you said, maybe it's just a dip because they they can against weaker opponents. It's just a dip because it's late in the season and they've had injuries all year. So they've a lot of girls have played a lot of minutes. Uh, and I think there's some fatigue that's setting in and yeah, that could be an impact in March, but you have a little bit of a break before you get into the NCAA tournament. So perhaps some of those fatigue issues will end up kind of correcting themselves, but by and large, uh, no, if they were losing games because they couldn't shoot. Yeah. Obviously we'd have a different issue. That's not really the case. 47% is not really even that bad. Quite honestly, I know they've shot less than that, in each of their last seven games, but that's still, that's not, not a, a marker that, that frightens me all that much for this team. All right. That is going to do it for me today. Plenty more fantastic content coming your way later this week as we prepare for college game day on Saturday between the Zags and Gales. Also check out my new podcast locked on college basketball started in November, already over 500 subscribers on YouTube. Fantastic content every day, all about college hoops. Check it out. If you haven't done so yet, go to YouTube, search college locked on college basketball, hit that subscribe button. Do so for locked on Zags as well. If you haven't yet leave a review on iTunes, leave a comment on YouTube, hit that like button, whatever it may be. It is all very much appreciated. All right. I want to thank every single one of you for listening. And as always, go Zags.